I'm going to read the first ten verses. And we're going to talk about your life story. Your life story. Ephesians chapter 2 says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sin, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. And hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So I did title this tonight, My Life Story. Or we could say, Your Life Story. So let's pray and then we'll look at this. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your precious word. And I pray as we look at the scriptures tonight that we would see ourselves as you see us. Past, present, and future. And may we rejoice in your love and mercy to us. Father, I pray that there be any here tonight who have never been born again, never been quickened by the Spirit, they'd realize their need, repent, put their faith and trust in thee. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In his commentary on the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, Harry Einstein tells a story about one time he was in California and he was on a car traveling from one city, to, I think it was from Los Angeles, going somewhere else. And, and him and another man were sitting there and after a bit this lady, he said, I guess she was a lady. He said she looked kind of funny to be called a lady. But anyway, she looked like she was dressed in red handkerchiefs pieced together. Came into where they were and said, uh, man, if for a quarter I'll tell you your future. And uh, he, he said, you mean for a quarter you can tell me my future? She said, yes, I can tell you your future for a quarter. If you give me your palm and give me a quarter, I can tell you your future. He said, I already know my future. <laughs> she said, you do? She said, he said, yes. And he pulled out his little Bible and says, it tells me all about it right here in this little book. She said, really? And he turned to Ephesians chapter 2 and he began to read. And you have to quicken who were dead in trespasses and sins. And he got a little ways, and she finally said, you know, he, he got down to that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding rich. He said, I had enough. Wrong man left. <laughs> See, we have our life story here for, to, told for us. And we who know Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are told about what our future is here as well. So, look at this. First of all, notice first of all, and I don't know if I'll get much further than this, but I want to notice what we were. If you're saved tonight, it's what you were. If you're not saved, it's what you are. It's what you are. We were dead, verse 1 says, dead in trespasses 
and sins. Dead, spiritually dead. The word dead means uh, destitute of life that recognizes and is devoted to God because given up to trespasses and sins, inactive as respects to doing right. Now, talked a little bit about Calvinism this morning, John MacArthur and Calvinism. Calvinists would say that, yes, we are dead. We are spiritually inactive. We are incapable of even choosing to believe. God has to work in us to make us to choose to believe. We are inactive. But remember, this is written to the church at Ephesus. Were they spiritually inactive? Let's go back to Acts chapter 19. Let's go back to Acts chapter 19. And we read about Paul's time at Ephesus in starting a church there. In Exodus 19, verse 11, well, let's, 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 uh, in verse 10 it says this, And this continued by the space of two years, so, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So he spent two years there at Ephesus. And it says in verse 11, And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, and a chief of the priests which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leap, leaped on them, and overcame them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house, naked and wounded. And this is known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all. And the name of our Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also which used curious arts, brought their books together, and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them, and found it fifty thousand pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. And after these things were ended, Paul purposed in spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Rastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season. At the same time, there arose no small stir about the way, for a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, you know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, you see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. So that not only this our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised, and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. You see, these people were not spiritually inactive. They were very involved in worship, false worship. But they were not. So they were not spiritually inactive. So when we talk about being dead in trespasses and trespasses sin, we're not talking about being spiritually inactive. We're talking about being inactive as respect to doing right in the sight of God. 
In Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. See, it's our sins that separate us, and death really is separation, separate us from God. Therefore, we are dead in trespasses and sin. You know, a trespass is described as a lapse or deviation from truth and uprightness, a sin, a misdeed. Of course, the word sin here is described as failing to hit the mark, a bad action or evil deed, a violation of divine law. And that's a good biblical definition when we think about a violation of divine law. For 1 John 3, 4 says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And Paul in Romans 3, verses 19 and 23 said this, Now we know that what soever the law saith, it saith them to are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world become guilty before God. And of course, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know, I, I, said, to, uh, I said to Junior, Denton, I said, uh, you know, when the Bible says that we've all come short, I said it means to miss the mark. I said, you ever going deer hunting? He said, yeah, many times. I said, you ever miss? He said, yeah, many times. I said, God's standard is the bullseye, and you missed it. You've missed it. You've transgressed. It means to come short or to fall short. You know, one of the fads of the 1970s, in America was motorcycle jumping. You know, this, this trend reached its high and low point on September 8, 1974. One writer says, says, thousands of spectators gathered around the Snake River Canyon in Idaho to see Evil Knievel. If Evil Knievel could jump across the chasm in a specially designed sky cycle. Now, some of you don't even remember Evil Knievel. Some of us do. We're old enough to remember that guy. That, that guy. But anyway, in the end, however, it was unsuccessful. Knievel made it only partway across the gulf before his parachute deployed and he dropped to the canyon floor below. Some of the spectators asked, how far across the canyon did he get? But that's not the point. He fell short. He missed the mark. And you and I fall far short of God's mark. Therefore, we are dead in trespasses and in sins. And we're born that way. We're born in sin. Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, the psalmist is there not saying there that my parents committed adultery in conceiving me. That's not what he's saying. He said that what he's saying is, my sin nature I got from them. I got from them. You know, I got, I got a great-grandchild here tonight. I mean, she's an angel, a fallen one. No, she's not even an angel. But thank the Lord for that. We have something better than angels. But anyway, she, she's not an angel. She's a sinner. She's already, she is already showing us that. Yeah, and by the way, she got it from her parents. Just wanted to remind you of that. 
But see, we are born, we are born with a sin nature, and we get it. It's been passed down. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. So the word passed there means through unto all men. So this is a, this is a generation. You, you, you know, they talk about things that are hereditary. The sin nature is hereditary. It started with Adam and Eve, and it's been passed through all generations since. We're all born into sin. All born sinners. But we're also sinners by choice. Notice verses 2 and 3. <clears throat> Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also, notice this, we all. Now when the Bible uses the word of all, it means everyone, everything, uh, all. That's all it means. We all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now, when he talks here about the prince of the power of the air, no, that is not the telephone. I grew up, you know, I was raised Mennonite, so I'm very familiar with Amish. I still have relatives that are Amish. And they think the telephone is the prince of the power of the air. I mean, so they won't have it in their house. They can have it out in the horse shed, you know, across the, on the neighbor's fence in his horse shed. I, I used to chide with them all the time about their silliness about that thing. But no, the phone is not the prince of the power of the air. That is the devil himself. John twelve thirty one says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Of course, Jesus is there talking about the devil. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 says, But if our gospel be hid, is hid to them that are lost, and whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them. Who is the image of God should shine unto them. So, so when we're talking about the prince of the power there, and it says, And where in time past we walked, or ye, he was talking here to the Ephesian believers, ye walked in the past according to the prince of the power of the air. You followed the influence of the devil. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. The word spirit here is not talking about the Holy Spirit. It's talking about an influence which fills and governs the soul of anyone. The source of any power, affection, or emotion, or desire. Where, where do children come up with temper tantrums? It's the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That word worketh is energo, energy. That's the influence. It's in the world. It's devilish. The word walked has the idea of denoting either the state in which one is flying or the virtue or vice to which he is given um, after the world or after the devil. So, so we, he said you walked according to the prince of the power of the air. That was the influence. That was the driving force. The source of direction or influence. It, it, it was what was operative or working itself out your order of operations for your life, if you will. 
You remember in Luke chapter 9, I think it was the Samaritans, they didn't want to they didn't want to receive the Lord Jesus, and so James and John said, hey, let's call down fire and destroy him. And Jesus said, you know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So, so that was, you know, he was there talking that they were, that was the spirit of Satan that was, that was influencing them to destroy these people. You know, uh, Psalm 58, 3 says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. You know, Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 17, 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now, I don't think sometimes we really think about how wicked our hearts could be. Look at verse 3 also. It says, Among whom also we all had our conversation times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You know, our conversation, he says, was the lust of the flesh, living out our own desires. And our flesh, I wrote down some descriptions some descriptions here. Our flesh is depraved, it's defiant, it's destructive, it's domineering, it's demanding, it's dirty, deadly, derogatory, harmful, hateful, harassing, unpredictable, unreliable, uncontrollable, unmerciful, beastly, barbaric, carnal, conniving, crooked, and cursed. Paul said in Romans 7, 24, O wretched man that I am. Wretched man that I am. Now Paul wasn't saying that before he got saved. This was one of the later letters he wrote to the Romans. He was in the middle or the later part of his ministry. And he wrote and said, O wretched man. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Well, you might say, well, Pastor, I was never that bad. I was a good kid. Really? Or my child was never that bad. Did you ever stop and ask maybe why your child was maybe not that bad? Your Proverbs 29, 15 says this, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Verse 17 of Proverbs 29 says, correct thy son, he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. It is not true. It is not true that you are naturally a nice person. That is a, that is a unbiblical statement that you are naturally a nice person. You may be a nice person because somebody trained you to be a nice person. That is the only reason you or I may be a nice person. Because if we were left to ourselves, we would be beastly and barbaric. We'd live like animals. You say, we really would? Yeah, we would. Talk to a missionary sometime. Talk to Brother Forney. 
Brother Forney said this, and I never thought about it until I heard him say it. There is no such thing as primitive cultures. See, you hear world talking about, you know, these third world countries and how primitive, you know, how we would say how backwards they are. You know, you go to the mountains and there's some primitive people living, you know, out there. They, uh, you know, there was, we knew people in Maine that lived without electricity. Still went to the spring, got water. Still had the outhouse on the hill. Primitive. And, but you go to some countries and they're so primitive, they don't even wear clothes. And people say they're primitive cultures. No, they're not primitive. They're degenerate cultures. They're degenerate cultures. They are cultures that have been without the truth of the word of God for a long period of time. That's what they are. If you give them the gospel, guess what's going to happen to them? They're not going to be primitive anymore. They're not going to be degenerate anymore. They're going to start living like the rest of the world lives. You see, the reason they are primitive is that they've been so long without Bible truth. That was, think about it, that was the condition which caused the flood. Genesis 6, 5 says, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Sometimes when I read the, sometimes when I read the news, I think that some people must fit that description. What are they going to think up next? You know, and I think we got people like that in our society now. Unfortunately, Genesis six eleven also says the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. But, but the fact of the matter is, as we think about our culture, as wicked as we think our culture is, and it is getting more and more wicked, yet there is still much Bible influence. You know, there's just a lot of nice people out there. They don't even say. Why are they nice people? Because it's the influence of this book. Generation after generation after generation. They may no longer believe in the God of this book, but they've been taught principles from this book growing up. You know, we talk about that southern culture, which we're losing here in the south, but that southern culture comes from the Bible. It's been the fruits of what we call the Bible Belt. The influence of Bible-believing Bible churches, Baptist churches here in the south. So, so think about, you know, when he says, among whom we all, also, we all had our conversation. Let me, let me illustrate this way. I remember I used to get a little paper from an evangelist I knew from years ago. He was around my age. And uh, I, uh, I actually, his dad was my pastor for a little while. But uh, anyway, I got his paper, and, and one time I got the paper, and he had this article he wrote about how he was thanking the Lord that the Lord delivered him from, from, from uh, smoking and drinking and from drugs. And, you know, I'm reading this paper, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, this, this guy's giving us a line. Because I knew him. And I knew he never smoked in his life. He never drank in his life. He never did drugs in his life. But he was talking about how the Lord never delivered him from all that. 
And then when, he, when, he, when you get on further in the article, what he, 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 he explained what he meant by that was because he grew up in a family, a Christian family that taught him never to do drugs, never to drink, and never to smoke. See, God delivered him from all that because of the family he grew up in. The influence that was, or how he was trained. And again, that all comes from the Bible. You know, if, if we didn't have the, if we wouldn't have had that influence, that's where we'd be. If we were completely left to ourselves, that's how we'd be. We'd live completely for self, like a lot of people in this world do, and give no thought for any, anybody else. So again, my statement, it is not true that you are naturally a nice person. Because human nature is wicked and depraved. As Paul here very clearly says, he says we were the children of wrath, even as others. You see, the entrance of Bible Christianity changes the walk and manner of life of peoples and nations. First Corinthians, go to First Corinthians chapter four. First Corinthians chapter four. First Corinthians, Corinthian, or Corinth, that's what I want to say. Corinth was a wicked city. It was an idolatrous city, full of full of idolatry and also full of uh, prostitution and immorality. And of course Paul took the gospel there. And then in, in chapter four, verses six and seven he said this, And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that none of one, no one of you be puffed up for one against another. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory? As if thou hadst not received it. Now, the Corinthians here, of course, the context is they were, they were, there was this division among them, some following Paul, others Apollos, some Cephas, which is Peter. And then some said, well, I'm, you know, I follow Christ. And, uh, and, and he's saying, you know, we're just ministers. We're just servants of God. And, and you not, ought not to puff yourself up thinking you're better than somebody else because you say you follow somebody else or think this certain person is more spiritual or that you're following him and you heard, you heard him preach and you heard him preach and think you're more spiritual because you heard him and not him. You know, this is, they were comparing one another with themselves. And he said, you ought not to be puffed up because all of us have received truth. It's not the truth isn't of us. We didn't somehow come up with it. And it's not natural to us. We've all received it. If we have it, we've all received it from someone else. You know, this, this, this proves a point many times that we make, that we need some, somebody to teach us and instruct us the truth of the Word of God. Just like a child needs training. That's why he needs parents. So... This, is, this was what we were. It's not a nice picture. It's not a nice picture. But I like what verse 4 says, But God. But God. 
who is rich in mercy. Think about the description Paul gave, gives in verses 2 and 3 of what we were, and then he says, but God who is rich in mercy. He is abundant in mercy. And, and so, for his great love wherewith he loved us. You know, how could he love us? What is it in us that would cause God to love us? We live for ourselves, to fill our flesh, the lusts of our mind. And by nature, we are the children of wrath. And yet God, who is rich in mercy, not giving us what we deserve, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. I want to notice three things here. But God, first of all, God has provided for us. He's provided for us. Several things he's provided. He's provided for us uh, salvation. He hath quickened us together. The word quicken, of course, means to revive or to restore life, to become alive, to receive life. God has given us life. No longer are we spiritually dead in trespasses and sins or are spiritually missing the mark or living in the violation of the divine law. Because of the riches of His mercy. It's not anything we've done. It's the riches of His mercy. When Paul, in in Romans chapter 7, talked about Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He said, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the riches of his mercy. He's provided for us salvation. He's provided for us forgiveness of sins. Chapter 1, verse 7. In whom, it's in Christ, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So no longer are we in bondage, enslaved to sin and to Satan, being bound by him, as Hebrews tells uh, being bondage unto death, but we have been redeemed or bought out of or bought from that bondage and received the forgiveness of sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. But not only that, he has provided us his plan. His plan. His will for our life. Notice verse 9, chapter 1, verse 9. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which is purpose in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. So God has provided for us our salvation, our deliverance from this bondage, from this wrath, of which we are already under condemnation. You know, from God's perspective, let me, go, let me go to the next point here. Not only does he provide for us, but he's positioned us. I know the word positioned is probably not a word, but I, I can make it up to my sermon. So, uh, He's positioned us. He's given us a position. Notice verse 6. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. He's given us a new position 
a new position. He says he's raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, practically speaking, we're still here. Positionally speaking, as far as the mind of God is concerned, we're with the Lord. We're in the family of God. The price for our redemption has all been paid for. It's efficacious. It's, the remedy has been, is complete. You know, the last stage of that redemption process has not been fulfilled. That's him calling us home. But as far as God is concerned, it's all done. And we are seated in the heaven, heavenlies with Christ. That's how he sees us. That's our position. Uh, we are holy. Look at chapter 1, verse 4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So even before the foundation of the world, God knew that you would be saved and be made righteous and made holy. Because he has foreknowledge. Because he has foreknowledge. Verse 6 says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. In chapter 3, verse 15, he says this. Let's, let's look verse 13 also. Wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. You see, we have become part of the family or placed into the family of God. Now, the church is local and visible. The family of God, notice it says, it says, whom the, is, is in heaven and in earth is named. So when you're talking about the family of God, you're talking about the saved of all ages. That's the family of God. That's not the body of Christ. The body of Christ is the church. But that is the family of God. And so we've been placed or adopted into the family of God. We have that position. We have those rights. We are joint heir with Christ, our Lord and Savior. So he has provided for us salvation. He has given us this new position in Christ. And he has so also has a purpose for us notice verse 10 let's let's read verses 8 and 8 9 and 10 for by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves is the gift of god not of works lest any man should boast those are familiar very familiar verses but the verse 10 is not as familiar for we are his workmanship created in christ jesus unto good works which god hath before ordained that we should walk in them so we are his workmanship. We're his workmanship. Uh, so God is working in our lives. We are his clay. He is the potter, if you will. And he is working in our lives to shape us, to mold us, to make us into the image of Christ. Go to Romans chapter 8. 
Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, verse 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, they receive the foreknowledge of God, he also did predestinate God's working to bring to pass. That's the idea of predestinate. To be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So God is working, we are his workmanship, and God is working in our lives, we are his children, God's working in our lives to conform us to the image of Christ so that we might be, character. our life might be characterized as doing those things that are pleasing to the Lord, not transgressing the law of God. Not living in sin. So we're his workmanship. Philippians. When Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, he mentioned this in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So... So if he's begun, it's begun with salvation, but salvation is just the beginning. It's just the beginning of our Christian life. God has a plan. God has a purpose for you and I, and he's going to work in our lives to and continually all the days, the remainder of our days, to conform us to the image of Christ, to be more like him, so that we may do good works, that we may glorify our Father, which is in heaven. Matthew 5.16 tells us. So not only has he provided for us, he's given us a position where in Christ we're seated in the heavenlies, but he's also given us a purpose. We have a purpose. And God will work. Think about Abraham. Abraham was called the friend of God. God made some promises to Abraham. Promised him he'd have a son, an heir. He also promised him land. But you know, the Lord continued to work and um, I would say grow his faith or his trust in him. You know how he did it? He'd test him. He'd test him. So it's a famine. God said, dwell in this land, and I'm going to give it to you and your seed. And then a famine comes. And Abraham left the land, went down into Egypt. He's rebuked in Egypt because he lied about his wife. He comes back to the land, builds an altar, of course, then there's another one. He goes to Abimelech. He has, runs into difficulty there, and he comes back again. And God still reminds him of this promise. 
Of course, there was also the test with Lot. And then he has the seed, and God gives him a really difficult test. Okay, you, now you go offer the son as a sacrifice to me. You thought you had troubles. See, what was God doing? He was, Abraham was his workmanship. And because Abraham believed God, we can all, for generations, for thousands of years, look back at Abraham and say, you know what, we can trust God. We can trust God. God will keep his word. Because Abraham did what God said to do. But of course, if we fail, there's always chastening. When our children disobey, there ought to be chastening. And when we disobey the Lord, when he's working in our lives and we fail to obey him, God will chasten us with the purpose of bringing us back to himself into fellowship again and growing in him. God wants us to grow. Look, go to it. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. You know, 2 Peter is a book about apostasy. 1 Peter is a book about suffering. And Peter concludes this epistle in 2 Peter 3. Verse 14, he says, Wherefore, beloved... Seeing that you look for such things, talking about the new heaven and new earth. Oh, that's, that's the glory to come. We have a glorious future ahead of us. Look for such things. Be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. In account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. You know, God wants us, even in difficult times, to trust him. Even if we don't understand. I didn't hear any explanations this afternoon to Mia why she was getting what for. But I knew why. It would be pointless to try and explain it to her because she can't understand it. You know, I didn't, I didn't, when my kids were little, when they, when it was, when they disobeyed me, I didn't sit down and try to explain for half an hour why they were going to get it chastening. No, they just got it. They do, they disobey. They do disobey. Or I didn't have to, I didn't sit down and explain to a two-year-old why they shouldn't touch a hot stove. Because, you know, there's, there's an element in there, and it gets, uh, 
uh, electricity goes into it and uh, it makes it get red hot. And, and if you touch something that's red hot, you're going to get a blister. It's going gonna, it's gonna to burn. It's going to cause uh, uh, your skin to bubble up and, and it may get infected and it's really going to hurt. And does a two-year-old understand that? No. No. You just tell them not to do it. And when they get a little older, you know what happens? Uh, a light bulb turns on to begin to understand. After they've already obeyed you. You see, if we would just obey the Lord, even if we don't understand, by and by, we will understand. God didn't say, if you understand, obey me. God said simply, you obey my word. Keep my promises. And I will bless you. Wisdom comes by obedience. So, you know, that's our life. You know, we have nothing to glory of. We have nothing to crow about, as they say. We're no better than they out there, except by the riches of the mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If it wouldn't be for him, we'd be running around in Africa or South America somewhere in, in our loincloths chucking spears too. You see, they're not like that because they're worse and more wicked than we are. They're like that because they're degenerate. They're without the truth of the word of God. Might God help us to rejoice in what God has done for us in giving us the truth of his word and what a privilege we have to be able to study it, to grow up with it. Help us not to take that privilege for granted. But if you don't never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're still under the wrath of God. You may not be a bad person according to the world's standards, but if you're not saved, you're a child of wrath, even as others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.